Hey, folks, I'm Tom. I'm KJ. You know the drill. We're back again to talk about the Dunlap Champions Club. You know, just because football season goes away after the fall every year, unfortunately, the Dunlap Champions Club does not, and we've told you this before, but it's a great event space that you should consider for your team, family, organization, whatever it is. Space, space, and more space. Anything from 10 to 15 people, or I'm told... As many as 800 can be accommodated. Uh, they, they've got space. They do. They've got uh, – if you've been in the Dunlap Champions Club, you know we're talking about the fourth floor and the sixth floor, really, of the University Center Club. But the fourth floor is 20,000 square feet, floor-to-ceiling windows, overlooks Bobby Bowden Field. They can set it, you know, whatever you want. Plated function, theater seating, cocktail reception. If you like uh, the terrace, the little outdoor and, – and actually – this time of year. Yeah. Yeah. I might not suggest it for late July, early but, August. But this time of year. This time of year, I think that's an option. Same thing up there. Cocktail reception. They'll set it however you want. Just consider it. It's uh, it, it really is a great space. I've, I've been to several functions there. I'd encourage you to do the same. 850-644-1830 for ticket information, or you can call and schedule a private tour. And now, without further ado... Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles First Look with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles First Look is presented by Hobson Chevrolet in Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. And by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom Block, Keith Jones, Front Row Knowles. First look, we do this after each and every game. You know that drill by now comes your way Sunday mornings at 9, re-airs Mondays at 6, and then our regular show Wednesdays at 6 right here on 97.9. So Florida State wins 49-12. They get bowl eligible. I'm not really sure how we're going to fill an hour talking about what we saw on Saturday at Doe Campbell Stadium because fundamentally it was not great. Execution was not great talent differential was pretty great and florida state won that easily i'll go back to this point keith and you and i have talked about it the biggest thing i'm impressed with the last couple weeks is this team after the news about coach taggart could have uh, packed it in could have checked out and they chose not to they won a big game last week even though bc's not the greatest game and they came back today or saturday and took care of business I thought the effort was greater in Boston. It needed to be because BC's a better club, but they did come out against Alabama State, and, and they did the things they had to do. And I think that's the biggest takeaway. you know, you got to give these cre- uh, kids credit. They, they've prepared during the week. Uh, they listened to the game plan. They did not execute it extremely well. In fact, Odell said in his post-game press conference that you know there would be some disciplinary things, uh, disciplinarian things done on Sunday. Uh, <coughs> pardon me, to... to reinforce the need not to make those mistakes uh, but my hats are off to the kids because very easily uh, something as emotional as a, as a coach being relieved during the season certainly they could have just packed it in and said no I also acknowledge that you can't just play on the emotion of playing for coach Hagens and what what he means to Florida State so Fortunately, FSU's got two weeks to prepare. They're going to go into a very, very hostile environment down in Gainesville against a very good Florida team. But as we've said all along in rivalry-type games, you never know what's going to happen. So there is an opportunity. Florida State's just got to prepare for it, uh, work on fundamentals this week, work on the Florida game plan next week, and then try to seize that opportunity once they get down to Gainesville. You should know the drill by now. We'll uh, talk offense one segment, defense one segment, and then uh, clean things up. And actually, uh, back to my original point, I'm not so sure we'll break it down that way. We'll probably talk about bowl scenarios potentially, which there's a lot up in the air based on how other teams do. 
So we got to play a little more football, really, to get definitive answers there. We can talk about the coaching search, which, uh, Keith, since we're recording this show, that may be a roll of the dice, too, because who knows what will happen. But the one thing we are going to do is listen to Coach Odell Higgins, who met the media after uh, 3 and Odell became 4 and Odell. You know, it'd be pretty nice. I mean, if he could keep that going for, you know, a few seasons, it'd get up there and it'd sound pretty nice. But here's Odell Hagans uh, after FSU punched its ticket to start a new bowl streak. I tell you what, you know, our kids went out of fault. You know, we made some mistakes, not proud of them. We're, we're going to work on that tomorrow. But the one thing about it, this was a two-week thing for those kids. It was a very emotional time. It was a very emotional time. And, and I take my head off to those young men. They fought. They could have gave in, but those young men fought. That Florida State pride, that's the key. And, and like I said, I told them in there in the locker room, I said, guys, we're going to correct those mistakes tomorrow. We're going to get out of it tomorrow. And they said, Coach, we got you. We got you. We got you back, Coach. And, and again, it just, it's amazing. God put us in situations to help young men. We as college coaches must understand why we're doing this job. And I just want to thank my mother for instilling that into me. And I don't think I could have been able to do it if my mother didn't instill things like that into me. It's a statement like to make to the college coaches. We must instill a work ethic in these young men. Questions? Start with the right? Odell, uh, I know some former players came back today as well. Um, what does it mean to get Florida State back into a bowl game now that you've done that twice now? Well, it means the world because sometimes you selfishly you think about yourself, but when these young men come to Florida State, they sign on the dotted line. They expect that. That's the expectation of Florida State University, to be in the top five every year and win national championships. You know, we didn't make it. We probably we won't be in a New Year's Day bowl, but we're going bowling. That's something we can build on as a university, and we are going to build on it. Coach, earlier this week and I guess throughout the week, we saw a lot of current players on the team kind of tweet out their support of you and potentially as a candidate for the vacancy. I know you aren't thinking that far ahead. Your focus is still on the season, but just to see that your current players think that highly of you, what did that mean to you as just an individual? That's great. They think that way. But I'm going to say it again. My main concern, it's not about Odell. It's about mentoring these young men and coaching them to a successful season. That's what it's about. I don't want no attention on me. I want all the attention on them, positive attention. Coach, you and President Thrasher met at midfield. What did he say to you? Uh, did he give you a vote of confidence or with just nice words? What did he say? He told me, he said, Odell, nice work. Keep up the great work. And I told him, I love you. We're Seminoles. Odell, I know you don't want the focus on you, but the fans were chanting your name at the end of the game. What was that like? 
That's, that's awesome. You know, that, that's awesome. The fans recognize you. That's awesome. That's that pride. And as I said before, we are a family at Florida State. I say that to the day I die. We are a family. Go back to Ira on your end. Odell, some of the, um, I guess some of the things that the team had been doing, like the before the kickoff and some other things that they're not doing anymore, were those strictly your decisions? Did you talk to anybody on the staff about making changes like that? or, or What are you talking about? What, what the, things are you talking about? The swag surfing and some of the things like that. The what? Swag surfing. What is swag surfing? I don't know what that is. <laughs> Before kickoffs earlier this season, they were, they were swaying with music oh. on the big screen. Well, I told our kids, you must earn certain things at Florida State University. I'm not gonna give it to you as a head coach. I say, we need to understand that. You must earn certain things. That's exactly what I told him. Come back over here to the left. Coach, what do you wanna focus on the most going into the bye week? You know what I wanna focus on the most? <clears throat> Fundamentals. See, sometimes we look at all the touchdowns, the interceptions, how do you get those touchdown interceptions? By being fundamentally sound. Think about this, we're fundamentally sound, we'll get more. And we're gonna get out there this week, we're gonna, get, we, we're gonna practice hard. And we're gonna be fundamentally sound when we go into that game. Odell, you guys, you had a lot of guys out uh, today with injuries. Um, how did how did you see the younger guys and, and backups step up? Yeah, awesome, man. You know, going around the East meeting, and I went around the East meeting. I, I would do that every day in the morning time. I tell the guys, I say, you're at Florida State, so we expect you to go in there and play well, do your assignment, and and the coaches, the coaching staff did a very good job. You know, you look at it, uh, Corey Durden. He only played the first half and one series in the second half or two series in the second half. And you, you saw young kids coming out there playing. That was awesome. But that's the expectation at Florida State. When you step on that field, you're a starter. Go up a couple rows to bring it on your right. Odell, you uh, you talked about the expectation for, for players when they come to Florida State to get bowl eligible. What was it like to see the guys celebrating the way they did to, to get back to this place after missing it last year? That was awesome. <laughs> Think about it. Florida State, what, how many years in a row went to bowls? 36. 36 years. In one year, we don't go. That's the expectation at Florida State in the top five and winning national championships. Nothing less. Uh, Corey, top left. Odell, how cool was it? Uh, Hamsa's interception return, um, that's, a, that's a lot of effort by a kid that uh, has made, really been kind of making plays all season for you guys. That was awesome. Hamsa worked so hard and, and he, he's the type of kid, he want to please you. And, and for that to happen for Hamza, it was great. It was awesome. And I just want to ask about the kick return that Isaiah Bolden had. They had been pooching him the first three or four kicks. 
Did you guys talk to him about, hey, man, go run up and get that and go? Yes. <laughs> we knew what they was trying to do. They was trying to keep the ball out of his hands. So we told him, I said, Isaiah, first, make it like you're going to be on the five-yard line. Then when you get ready to kick it, run up and catch it and take it the distance. He almost got it out there, but he did exactly what, what we said. Okay. Odell, first I have to ask you, uh, when's the last time you did the fight song? You sang that. Last last Saturday last in the locker room. Okay, before that, when's the last time you sang? You're a player? No, we sang the last time we won here. Okay. <laughs> but no, I tell you what, that's something, um, that's tradition that we're going to keep because that's important. You must understand what Florida State means to you. That fight song, actually, I like singing it with my daughter, and she tried to sing it <laughs> in different ways, but it's awesome. And the pride of this university, when when those kids leave this university, fifth year senior, fourth year seniors, they're gonna know that fight song and they're gonna teach it to their kids. And we'll keep getting kids coming here, their kids to come here. So we're gonna ingrain that in them. Odell Hagan's Florida State's interim head coach now four and Not necessarily pleased with the the fundamentals and the execution point we already hammered home but he was pleased with the grit and determination it's not really surprising i mean if you're around odell we've talked about this uh he he is um singularly focused single-minded uh a simpleton perhaps i mean he's about fsu the next play and all that not worried about much else and that's how he communicates to his team and in some respects it really does simplify the game and their focus well in some respects if any of us have tried to do that for a period of time it's not necessarily easy you know, because it's hard to stay that focused on that singular thing, but that's just the way Odell works. And he, he talked to the team uh, during halftime. You happened to be in the locker room. They didn't necessarily respond immediately when they came back in the second half, but he was preaching fundamentals, fundamentals, fundamentals. And he alluded to that in the post game that during the first few sessions of this by week it would be strictly about fundamentals and then they would get into the florida game plan i think the other thing that he was pleased with i think from a from an overall standpoint you were pleased with is some young kids got the opportunity to play and you and i've talked and debated and and basically come down on the side that the new red shirt rule where you can play in four games and still red shirt really does give the coaching staff some flexibility towards the end of the year where we're in Florida State's case, they can play some kids that that haven't played and still preserve that red shirt, but get an opportunity to look at them. And in the case of of uh, Washington, the big defense, uh, excuse me, offensive tackle, he had surgery this week, but he'd only played in four games, so he can still red shirt even though he's a starter. So there's some things that you can do as long as you pay attention to it. I think uh, from a standpoint of holding kids out and, and protecting kids. It gives coaches a little more flexibility. I don't know on the injury side whether Cam uh, Akers could have played had this been Florida week, but certainly with two weeks of rest, you expect to get him back. It was good to see Kalen get some opportunities. It was good to see uh, Travis get an opportunity to throw the ball. Uh, obviously, he, he continued to show what he can do with his legs. Second game in the row, by the way, he's Florida State's leading receiver, uh, rusher during the game. Terry with the deep ball. I hated that they officially made it 69. I wish it had been 70 because that would have given him number five in his career. But nevertheless, some positive things, even though they weren't great things. 
Your point about guys redshirting, Darius Washington is one, Maurice Smith on the offensive line. He hasn't played a lot, but he's a freshman that has played the last two weeks, I think, and they like what they've seen, but they didn't play him on Saturday. And the reason is now he can play two more games against Florida and in a bowl game, and he'll still get a red shirt too. So on the offensive line, uh, I'm not saying that uh, you've got Larry Little and, and Bob Kuchenberg here to go uh, back old school on the on the Dolphins reference, but you know, you've got three freshmen that are playing. Your both your centers are going to come back next year. You maybe have four or five line positions. Uh, I hate to use the word set, but not in as bad or bleak a shape as they were coming into this year. When you project forward a year, now you still need to find another tackle somewhere. But all in all, things trending up on the OL is what I'm saying. The other thing that happens on the OL is once the coaching search is done, and once you figured out, you know, are you keeping Bryles? Are you keeping Clements? How is that going to look? You can go back into the recruiting pool, particularly for those uh, offensive linemen that you you treat as projects, kids that you know need to come in and and spend some time in the weight room, spend some time on the training table. You can tell them and show them that, look, while you're getting ready, we're still going to need to play you because we don't have a set offensive line. So by using the red shirt rule, depending on what happens with injuries, how quickly you come in and acclimate yourself, you'll have an opportunity to see some playing time. I think, I think that'll be attractive to some of these middle-of-the-road offensive linemen that Florida State needs to bring in because the number one thing you need on the offensive side of the ball at the offensive line and the running back position is you need some more bodies because you're just thin from the standpoint of where you need to be in order to continue moving the program forward let's step aside for now we'll take a break we'll come back and continue this conversation just getting started here on front row Knowles first look front row Knowles first look is presented by cornerstone tool and fastener online at ctf.nu here's tom and keith back on front row Knowles first look we're just uh here's what we, we're going to do we actually had a planning meeting during that break and we decided we'll finish up the alabama state game right here then we'll talk coaching search then we'll talk bowl game scenarios and, and how in the world you piece together some great effort against Florida to spring an upset. So other observations, and this one does relate to the Florida game, Keith. Two weeks in a row, you know, for much of this year, if you think back, first game of the year, Boise State, you get a 70-yarder or whatever it is to Tamari and Terry. And then it sort of goes away for a while. We have the Virginia game where you miss one that would have gotten the equalizer. Uh, you just don't see Blackman goes in and out of the lineup. But the last two weeks, we've seen the arm of Blackman, and we've seen Terry. This one was the first play of the game. That is something now that if you're the opposing team, you you absolutely have to respect. I mean, you just can't discount it because Florida State's going to take a couple shots a game. And the way Blackman's throwing it right now, they may hit him. What you've got to do is you've got to school Blackman and, and Terry, for that matter, on recognizing when the Florida secondary has gone to to zero man coverage i.e. there's no safety and and whatever you've got to do to train and teach them and point that out to them and then figure out a way to get that signal in because Florida is going to challenge you and you've got to recognize that and I'm not saying you go deep every time Florida does that but but you need to recognize it and then make a decision because two or three or four times you're going to have to take a shot because it's going to take big big plays like that to beat the Gators and and Florida can be susceptible to that now Florida secondary is as good as anybody's their corners are as good as anybody uh it'll be a tough thing to do but you got to take those shots so I I'm in the in the in the film room with Blackman and and Tamari and, and I'm I'm pointing out what to look for and when you see it 
whatever call you've got to make to go to it, make it and take those shots two or three or four times and let's see what happens. A couple other points about the receiving core, and I've made this previously, but I'm going to continue to hammer it home because anytime there's offensive issues, we immediately point to the offensive line. But this offense simply is not as good without Keyshawn Helton and Ontario Wilson. I mean, both those guys were starters. And so you're, you're down two starters there. So Gavin is playing more. DJ Matthews is playing more. Not a lot of depth. And bear in mind, on Saturday, Trey McKitty wasn't available. Now, McKitty did play last week on the onside kick. If this was Florida week, he probably could have played. But he'll be back, and that's another weapon there. Cam Akers, who was held out, I was told if the Florida game was, was this week, he would not have played, could not have played. He looked fine to me. Hopefully he's back. Uh, and then that kind of goes to the, the mystery of how do you handle Jordan Travis. I mean, if you have all your parts back that you're going to get back, so you've got Blackman at quarterback, you've got Akers, you can run some wild cam if you wanted to because you have Laburn, or you could use Jordan Travis to do that with Cam. You can throw with Travis. I mean, I, I would just say empty the kitchen sink. No question. I mean, that that's, you know, the obvious statement because you do have nothing to lose and everything to potentially win if you could get the upset. Uh, I would find, I'd sit down and I'd find the things that Travis is most comfortable with doing. I, I think um, Kendall has done a very good job with Blackman the last two games about calling plays that puts him in the best uh, light. I noticed one thing, I don't know if you'll agree with me or not, but with, with Travis being in there and being able to see a Florida State quarterback in a Florida State uniform, <coughs> pardon me, actually run the football, dang if Blackman didn't run it. Now, Gene in his call said it was a design run. No, it was not. He stuck that ball in, in Laburn's gut, and Laburn tried to take it away from him. And, and literally, Blackman wrestled it away from him on that long run around to the left. How much of that is Blackman seeing Travis do it and just processing it in his mind? I don't know. But it certainly isn't coincidental that all of a sudden James is a little more effective at running the football, in my opinion. That was the play where Blackman got nicked up a little bit. He did return to the game, and I would presume that he'll be fine uh, in two weeks. I, I think, you know, get creative. Have some fun. There's nothing to lose. I mean, you're not going. You're not playing for a national championship. You're not going to the college football playoff. You're basically arguing over: Are you going to get to go to Charlotte or are you going to Shreveport again or El Paso? You're getting ahead of yourself. Remember, that's another segment. Oh, that is another segment. You're right. All that. Uh, really, you're playing the Gators, and they're having a nice year. So if you somehow find a way down there, this was supposed to be another segment. You empty that. Let's let's uh, switch to the defensive side of the ball. Nazrul Dean has been far and away the best player on the field since Marvin Wilson went down. But but I, I don't think he got his due before Marvin went down. He's he's up the, He led the team in tackles again. He's got 50 tackles in the last three weeks, I think, maybe four weeks. Had a pick six. He's going to go over 100 tackles this year, just really playing good football. You know, we don't ascribe tackles uh, with the same type of awe as we do touchdown receptions or rushing yards or, you know, completion percentages but you know Nazar Dean had a 17 tackle game earlier this year had a 22 tackle game up at Boston uh, had the pick six that's what we look at defensive safeties uh, defensive backs and safeties at what was in my mind unbelievable about that return yes it was 80 yards but he was so gassed by the time he got to the end zone I don't know if it could have been 82 yards he might have fallen down I mean he was completely expended and as a former defensive back, you know, 
it's great to intercept. It's great to knock balls down. But scoring, you know, you get so rarely. I, I never had a defensive uh, touchdown for a score in a game. I recovered one block punt uh, for a touchdown, so that counts in the special special teams. But I never had one. And, and, and that would have been thrilling to me, even 40 years now past it. Uh, he has played unbelievably well. I love the comments that Coach Odell made about him in terms of his work ethic, how players respond to him. The biggest thing I like about him, Tommy, is he knows when to deliver a hit and knows when to just tackle. And when you look up and you see a defensive back driving a ball carrier backwards, you know it's Nazaldi. And when you see him making a, a tackle in the open field on someone that's even faster or quicker than he is, it's because he knows when to wrap up. Very rarely do you see him make a mistake tackling, and, and that is one of the greatest attributes a safety can have. Going bigger picture, it was senior day on Saturday, Keith, and this is a senior class. 18 of them were honored uh, before the game. And when you look at the the depth chart, there's there's not a ton of seniors who really have been contributing. Uh, you know, Gabe Neighbors and Keith Gavin offensively are, are the main two, I think. Defensively, Dontavious Jackson, uh, Levanta Taylor. But, I mean, it, a lot of underclassmen. But that said, these are guys who came in under Jimbo, never thought that they would uh, end up going out over a third head coach. And, again, credit to them for sticking together. It's not the, the way they saw their careers unfolding when they were high school seniors, I'm sure. But, but nevertheless – uh, they can be the class that, in, in, instead of being remembered for, for losing the streak, if you will, the bowl, they, they started a new one, and we'll see where it goes from here. There's so many things, so many mixed emotions, Tommy, and we talked about it in our pregame uh, talks. You know, I, I subscribe, and, and in my own personal experience, your last home game is your most memorable game. It's the one that you look back on. Because when you come back for, uh, you know, reunions and that type of thing, you're going to go back to that same field. And as a result, with these kids having the opportunity to play their last home game, it's just an indelible memory, whether good, bad, or indifferent. And it's really bittersweet because, at, in one sense, the, the, the four or five years that you've been here, you know, in some sense has taken a long time. In other ways, you look back on it and wonder where it went. It's just flown by. Uh, these kids have given of themselves uh, as you mentioned, they've come in under one set of circumstances, had another set the, the head, uh, you know, cards dealt to them, and had to finish up on another one. And I candidly think that's why Odell uh, is so focused on, quote, unquote, the kids and what, what's happening with the kids because he recognizes how disruptive a lot of that has been. Many of us, myself included, you know, came in here and, and played four years for the same segment coach, four years for the same head coach, same system, and we didn't have to go through that, that upheaval. Uh, these kids had to, and yet they stuck it out, and they have good memories, I hope. They'll leave with their degrees. Uh, I know from a group that they'll be productive and good citizens. And when everything's said and done, you really don't remember how many plays you played or how many tackles you had in college. You remember the the, the relationships, uh, the experiences, and the, and the shared camaraderie, and that's what you leave with. Two guys, not seniors, but probably in Doak Campbell for the last time, at least as current players. Hopefully they come back, and I'm sure they will because they're first-class guys. But uh, certainly bittersweet to see Cam Akers in sweats 
and Marvin Wilson in a big old sling. Those guys are draft eligible. I would suspect they would turn pro because they're very well thought of. I don't know that they will, but I would suspect that. They've, they've left their mark on the program, and, and that mark is that uh, even in the face of adversity, they simply didn't quit, and they, and they were leaders by example. And even though they're leaving early, they continued to put forth the effort. We've documented, talked about the fact that Marvin basically told the medical staff you know, what they could do with their recommendation about him missing the rest of the year. And basically Odell came in and said, look, we're going to listen to the medical staff. I'm not going to let you play. You're done because Marvin would have gone. Cam, you can never fault him for his effort, for his work ethic, for the way he has grown to be a leader. Uh, you know, I know you were told that if this was the Florida week, he still wouldn't have played. I don't know that I necessarily believe that, but maybe I'm just one-sided because he's been so gutty. Certainly, I hope he gets well over the next two weeks and has the opportunity to, to be fully healthy when he gets to Florida field. But both of those guys, I'll, I'll be out on a limb, Tommy. I, I, you say you don't know. I'm pretty convinced. I, I, we will never see either one of them play uh, in a Seminole uniform in Dope Campbell again. It's not in their best interest now to do that. They're that good. Marvin, Marvin is a borderline first-round pick. Cam would be a first-round pick 10 years ago when they still valued running backs. He'll probably slip to the second round, maybe the early third round. But that type of money at the next level can't be turned down, and I don't blame them, and they should take it. Dalvin Cook was a second-round pick, by the way. That seems to be working out okay. I don't know if you've noticed that on Sundays. And Cam could very well fall into that. I'm just kind of edging and sledding. I'm, I'm biding my time. I would draft Cam in the first round, but I'm not a general manager. Yeah, I'm not disagreeing with you. I mean, they they kind of feel like they can get a couple years out of whoever, whatever round. That's another show for another day, probably in April, leading up to the NFL draft. Step aside, come back, and continue with more on Front Row Knowles' First Look. Front Row Knowles' First Look is presented by Hobson Chevrolet in Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, first look, Tom and KJ with you. Keith, uh, well, first got to take care of some business, then we'll continue. Certainly the coaching search for FSU's next head football coach is not a do-it-yourself project. But if you do have a do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished, go visit Ron and his knowledgeable staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener to get all your power tool, tool needs. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue or 3269 Crawfordville Highway, Call them at 580-1200 or online at www.ctf.nu. That's ctf.nu, Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. So maybe as we begin the coaching conversation, we can say who's been scratched. Is that a fair statement? Well, I think Bob Stoops has been scratched is, is what everybody's saying now. The uh, the search continues. David Coburn on Saturday when I talked to him, he, he had set the timeline as by the end of the month. We talked to him on the pregame radio show. He said, well, the timeline's the same, end of the month, maybe the first day or two of December. That may seem insignificant, but what that means is that acknowledges that we'll get past uh, maybe the end of the regular season. I mean, actually, the way the calendar falls, the first Saturday when you still got games going on is December 7th or whatever, but you get past a regular season, you can get to December 1st or 2nd, and, and that means that brings current head coaches into play, really. Well, that's where I was going. Two things. Number one, the reason that A.D. Coburn has continued to stress a date, whether it is by the end of November or the first couple of days of December, is that's a message to recruits, to Florida State commitments to say, please don't do anything 
we will name who our next coach is and give you plenty of time to make your evaluation. For those that, that haven't kind of processed that, my personal opinion is that's why David has said that. Secondly, with Stoops off the table, others that are on the table are currently coaching. Some of them will have games on December 6th or 7th, whatever that Saturday is for champ- conference championship games, but others will have their season done the same time that Florida State season is done. So by hedging for a day or two, that gets him to Sunday or Monday or Tuesday, whatever, however those days work out. That's important because you may be looking at trying to move someone, obviously, that has a current position. When it gets down to you're talking about coordinators or young people at other schools, then you've got a lot more flexibility, but I don't know where Florida State is, candidly, in terms of where that is in a probability of, of being a direction they go in. Obviously, our listeners know that the names have been put out there. We don't need to rehash those. I think we're at the point now where it's really incumbent upon the, the search firm to give David and to give President Thrasher, you know, the the, the, the mechanics and, and the um, X's and O's of what they use for their evaluation, plug in the metrics, and then and then Coburn and Thrasher, I'm sure, have a list of things that are unique in, pers- in perspective to Florida State, and you just got to work all those. A bulk of our fan base is going to be disappointed or even point fingers and point blame because Stoops didn't take the job. But the reality is, and I've been told this on fairly reliable sources, this is the same thing he did to Florida two or three years ago. He sat down, or his people sat down, a pitch was made, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to do the other, here's the salary range, here's the coaches pool range, here's what we're doing with the building, here's what we're doing to try to get ticket sales up, here's blah, 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 blah. He, he either listened or his people listened, and at the end of the day, he was given a deadline, and he said, no, I don't think I want to do it. I've been told that's the same thing he did to Florida two or three years ago. I'm not pointing him in, in, in a bad light. It's just I understand that. Uh, you know, he's 59 years old. He's been out of coaching. Does he really want to get back into it? Oh, it's nice to be have that carrot dangled in front of you. But you got to move on, and that's where Coburn and Thrasher are going to earn their keep because now you you got to – put together a plan that will be uh, acceptable to your fan base and in your best interest and and mesh the short term and the long term. Now, I've talked too long. I apologize. The one complicating factor, as long as Odell keeps winning, and should Florida State defeat Florida in Gainesville in a couple of weeks, the pressure to name Odell as the head coach, should he choose? I've, I've been told he said he wants to look at it. I've not had that personal conversation with him, so I've not heard it from his mouth. I've not heard it from an interview. I've just been told that he has said he would entertain it. The pressure mounts to do that, and the biggest reason for it is your connection, exactly what LSU has done with Ogeron. They took a guy that didn't have any experience, was singularly focused, gets made fun of because of the way he talks, but they got a defensive coordinator in there that they really are high on. They kept an offensive coordinator, brought a passing game person in, and now they're sitting in a position to potentially pay for or not win the national championship. That, in my opinion, is something you can't ignore. Your thoughts? Well, there was a lot to unpack after that soliloquy, so I'll join the segment now. First of all, regarding Ed O., 
he didn't. He did have experience because he failed miserably as Ole Miss's head coach, and then got a chance at USC. So he had already been a head coach for four seasons. I don't know, forty-five or fifty games. So there was a sample size there. And when they went to replace their coach, they didn't want him. They wanted Tom Herman. They thought they were going to get Jimbo. I mean, they really made him the the coach by default. And now he's won his way into to being the answer. Um, but I do think there's similarities there, and the, that you're talking about a defensive line coach who, you know, hadn't been a coordinator per se, you know, similarities to Odell. So I think this, Bob Stoops is the only name that's been mentioned all along, first of all, talking about Stoops, that would have sold tickets between now and opening day next year. Any other name they get, some people may like it, some people will not. The season ticket needle is not going to move until people see the product on the field next year. So you have to be prepared, whoever you announce in the next two weeks, even if the fan base isn't happy, it really doesn't matter if you wear that for nine months. You've got to be successful on the field. Um, so that's the first thing there. The, the second point about Stoops is that this is not a failed search because FSU didn't get Stoops. They made a coaching change because they didn't see progress under Willie Taggart and said, we have to make a change. Then they said, we've made a change. We're going to go after the biggest fish in the sea, and that's Bob Stoops. Stoops said no, so now they're going after other fish in the sea. It doesn't mean that wherever they land makes it a failed search. Ultimately... The one loss record in a couple years will determine that. I'm not sure I should let you weigh in because I have not taken my full allotted time to counter your points. But you will. First of all, thank you for my omission uh, on Coach O. Yes, I knew he had a head coach. I was talking about the perception of him. People don't even perceive him as having head coaching experience because it was so bad. Um, How about this as a positive? Let's be fair. Stoops was the big fish. He listened. That means the Florida State job is worth something. You, you know, this is not Tennessee. This is not, this is not candidly, even USC and some of the crap that those schools went through in order to get to a head coach. So it's just incumbent upon the powers that be to do their due diligence. And you've made the comment, and I will echo it, even if they have to sacrifice this recruiting class, even if they've got a – Coburn's got to stand in front of a mic and say – We've done our due diligence, and we're not ready to announce anything on December 2nd. we got more work to do. And seven of the 18 kids decommit, and you go from 18th or 16th in the recruiting class to 45 or 50. So be it. That's how important it is to get this decision correct. You take whatever time you need to. If you can make it quickly and salvage the class, that's great. But more importantly, because of what's happened, You've got to get this decision correct. So during your monologue, I looked at the calendar, and December 1st is the Sunday after the Florida game. So if you're talking about a, a, a current head coach whose team is not in a championship game, you could do it then. I think it's more likely it would come Monday, December 2nd, because that coach would have to fly in and all that. Where And I do think Florida State is going after somebody with head coaching experience. I don't think they're on the coordinator train even though I would be okay with that but if you look at the coordinators a they're in the championship games the next round so that sets you back a week because the coordinators who've been mentioned are LSU's coordinators Clemson's coordinators all guys are going to be tied up and that's if they would agree to leave after the conference championship game and not even stick around for the playoffs so they may be out altogether in terms of of sitting head coaches I I think where it gets down to though is, is this Keith 
if you're going to get a current head coach, and I think P.J. Flex done, I think Matt Campbell is probably on that list now from Iowa State. He's not going to be in the championship game in the Big 12, but has done big things. He's making three and a half mil a year right now. You're going to have to buy him out at six mil. You're going to have to pay him more than three and a half mil. Maybe not as much as Willie, but you probably got to get him to four and a half. And then you got to have that whole conversation. You know, can you get his uh, guaranteed dollars to be less than what it was for Taggart? Taggart was owed 85% of his remaining contract. Can you get in a situation where whoever you bring in, it's 50% of the remaining contract? And I'm saying that because two or three years from now, FSU can't afford to have to pay somebody $20 million to go away. I mean, so if you can get that number lower, it gives you a little more flexibility if it doesn't work out. See, I don't know. I agree with that, but I don't know if that should even be part of the conversation or the consideration. I mean, that's how important this hire is. And there is legitimacy in my mind to say I'm ignoring that. I, I don't. If I'm worried about the buyout, I'm already admitting defeat. But I hear you. I think it's going to be very interesting. I think when everything is said and done, there's there's probably Tommy. There's probably a 50% chance that Florida State's next head coach is on a list that we've looked at. But I will tell you, I think there's a 50% chance that it could be somebody coming out of left field that we haven't even talked about. I think that's fair. You know, there were reports this week that, oh, they were flying to Dallas and it's to see Stoops, who doesn't live in Dallas, by the way. But you know who is over there is Gary Patterson and TCU, and his name came up two years ago, and his name really hasn't been mentioned this time around. So I, I do think there's other there's other fish in the sea. I mean, there certainly are other fish in the sea. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know. The, the, the last point we'll make on this, and then we'll, we'll finish up this segment. The search firm was in Tallahassee at the basketball game, really the search agent, Friday night, all day Saturday. The way this works is not that a search firm comes and gives you a uh, – if they give you a list, it's based on the criteria that you tell them. We want somebody that's an offensive coach. We want somebody that's been a head coach for five years. We want somebody that's won at multiple schools. We want somebody who's dealt with a big fan base. We want somebody who's coached in the South. Whatever the criteria is, you list all those things, and then basically they crunch the numbers and come back and say, here's five or six guys that fit that. Here's what their contract terms are. Here's what their availability might be. And they and they put it on a table. They might recommend and say, if it was me, I'd take this, but you know your people better, so weigh your options. They'll come back and say, you know, when they were a head coach, this was their one loss record. Here's their RPI. Here is where their recruiting class is ranked by this segment, this segment, this segment. Here's if they were a coordinator, when they were a coordinator. Here's where their offense ranked in terms of yards per game, yards per rush, passing. Do you want passing? Do you want rushing? If they were on the defensive side, here's the points they gave up. Here's what they did in the red zone. They crunch all those metrics. The the, the bigger, not the bigger thing, but the biggest thing to always remember is that it will come down to the personal interview as well. There will come a time when you've got to sit down and you've got to get a gut feeling about somebody or something. And and that's where the science gets meshed with the art. And and the two come together. And candidly, you got to have a little bit of luck or a little bit of goodness. And, and, and hopefully you make the right decision. I don't envy uh, David or John and, and, and how they've got to go through this. And, of course, Ed Burr, I think, will be involved in it as well. But it, it it's got to be with a lot of thought, and this is this 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 is as big a hire as when as when Cole Moore said, "I'm going to take part of my education budget 
and let the athletic department have it so we can continue football and not do away with the program at Florida State University. I just wanted to make that point that because you hire a search firm, it doesn't mean that they give you a list of one to ten and you have to hire number one. You hire who you want. And, oh, by the way, the search firm makes its money by conducting successful searches. So it behooves them to find a candidate that actually works out for their clients. So that's the way the game works. All right. Enough on that. There's plenty of speculation. Uh, Just go to Twitter. It can be your gospel. There's lots of accurate information there. We'll come back and do another segment right after this on Front Row Knowles First Look. Front Row Knowles First Look is presented by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Well, we talked so much last segment that we don't have as much time this segment, so maybe that's a win for you listeners. But uh, anyway, we, we will get back to the business at hand, which is not the coaching search, although that is at hand. It's Florida State's most recent football game where... There's been a pretty dominant defensive player, Keith. We talked about him earlier. You'll talk about him again now. We will talk about the prime meridian bank performance of the game, and hats off to, to uh, Nazrel D. With that 80-yard interception return for a touchdown, that's our play of the game. Great, great effort. Uh, his teammates rallied around him. You know, it's one thing, Tommy, uh, take away from prime meridian for just a minute, but the one rule is you always block the receiver. Always block the intended receiver. And guess who almost caught Nazrel Dean 80 yards later? the intended receiver because nobody blocked him. Maybe I should coach. I don't know. Speaking of performance, Prime Meridian Bank was just named one of the best banks to work for by American Banker Magazine. Want to bank where they greet you by name? Smiling faces offer you coffee and a cookie when you walk in the door? Well, that's what I call a great performance. Try my bank, Prime Meridian Bank. Member FDIC, offices Tallahassee, Crawfordville, and Lakeland are on the web at trymybank.com. All right, Florida State is going bowling again. Not in a BCS Bowl, which isn't called a BCS Bowl. It's called a New Year's Six now, but not there. Where are they going to go? We don't know yet. There's still too much football to be played. But let me just lay it out. I've, I've looked at the ACC list or criteria of how they these things get assigned. The first thing you need to root for in terms of getting a better bowl for Florida State Clemson has to make the playoff. That sounds obvious, but if Clemson stubs its toe against South Carolina in the ACC championship game, they then are not in the playoff, and they drop down and take the Orange Bowl spot, and everybody else drops down one, and that means the likelihood FSU's in Shreveport or someplace like that is greater than if Clemson makes the playoff. Point number two, Notre Dame, because of its deal, will take one of the ACC bowl slots. Notre Dame has an outside chance to make it in, not into the playoff, but into a New Year's Six bowl game, you don't have to technically be in the top 12. The committee can choose somebody else. Right now, I think they were 16th, and I don't actually know if that's, that's where they're ranked in the polls. I don't know if that's where they were in the playoff. But they could get close enough that the draw of Notre Dame may get them selected in a New Year's Six. So what does that mean? That means Notre Dame's not taking an ACC bowl slot, and that moves FSU up one, if that makes sense. So the bottom line here, folks, in terms of if you're thinking about a better bowl scenario for Florida State, root for Clemson to make the playoff, root for Notre Dame to make it into a New Year's Six bowl game. That said, when you get down to the bowls that Florida State could go to, the ACC has five bowls that are all in, I don't know what tier they call it. Um, it's after the Camping World Bowl. But the, the, the bowls are the Belk Bowl in Charlotte, whatever bowl game's name is in El Paso, the Pinstripe Bowl, those three for sure, and then either the Music City Bowl in Nashville or the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl, whatever it's called, in, in Jacksonville. 
the reality is, when and I've looked at this, when you do the math, for Florida State to make that tier, one of those bowl games is going to have to take a, a potentially 6-6 six and six FSU team over an 8-4 and four team like Virginia Tech or Miami. And I don't know that the – it could it happen, yes, but the league's not going to be happy about it. I'll let you weigh in here uh, because that's going to upset the apple cart, so to speak. So I think the best scenario for Florida State for that to happen – is pull the upset over Florida, then you're seven and five. Then there's a, re- a better chance that you end up in those bowl games. Talk about my soliloquy! Wow, I, I was looking at the clock. Mine was much shorter than yours. So you say. Here's the one caveat: Florida State was supposed to play Boise in Jacksonville. Jacksonville would like to have Florida State play. John Thrasher is from Jacksonville. President Thrasher would like to have Florida State in Jacksonville. If there is, and I know the three and six years and other things that that, uh, some of our real astute listeners would be listening to, if there is any political way, then Florida State would be positioned well to go to Jacksonville. It may not happen, but that's kind of the one uh, that I would say is the outlier but is the best of. And as and, and other than that, if it doesn't happen, then Florida State will be in one of those lower-level tiers. That's disappointing, if you will. Uh, I'm pretty sure we won't get assigned to Shreveport because that's just not going to happen. But Florida State will be bowling again, Tommy. Remember how we felt last year when we weren't going anywhere. It's a first step. It's a baby step. It's not a giant leap. It's a baby step. But let's be happy and move forward with it. So I would say Jacksonville, possible, probably not probable. Everybody else in play. And personally, uh, I think New York would be real nice between Christmas and New Year's. I would take that too. I mean, uh, go up there and, and, and play in the Big Apple. Why not? Just to finish that. So you mentioned the three and six, and I will get into the weeds. The Music City and the Tax Slayer Bowl the way that contract works is each of those bowl games gets an ACC team three times in a six-year period. The Tax Slayer Gator Bowl has already had an ACC team three times in six years. So on top of upsetting the apple cart by taking a Florida State team over a team with a, a better one-loss record, they also would have to cut a deal with the Music City Bowl, and Nashville would have to be happy that they're getting, hypothetically, Virginia. I don't know who it would be. It would be another school uh, that's close by that they could sell more tickets. So if FSU doesn't make that tier, the bottom the bottom three that the ACC has an agreement with are Shreveport, Annapolis, Detroit. I would agree. I don't think if FSU is in that three that they would send them to Shreveport again. I think you're looking at Annapolis or Detroit. Based on my math, and, and, and some things could happen, I don't think the ACC is going to have enough teams bowl eligible to use – to, to have to go beyond their allotment and get into the Gasparilla Bowl and St. Pete or others. Now, it could happen. If if Clemson misses the playoff, that pushes everybody down one, and FSU would take the Gasparilla Bowl just to play in St. Pete and have a presence in Florida. Anyway, there's, an, there's another week where FSU's on a bye and then the, the ultimate week, so we really are not going to know. It's all conjecture. Really, other than a New Year's Six Bowl, about everything's in play for FSU in terms of postseason right now. I think another true statement is should Florida State beat Florida? then the bowl situation would be much better. They would jump up considerably with that victory. So if you want to think about it, maybe maybe that's a way to position it some way, shape, form, or fashion. Good segue, Keith, because we've got a couple minutes left. How does FSU beat Florida? 
Um, they've got to have some gash plays both in the running game and the passing game. They've got to be like they were against uh, Alabama State from the standpoint that you know Florida is going to get yardage, but you got to find some way to tighten up when you get into the red zone and force them in the field goals. And you've got to find a way to win the kicking game. You're probably going to need a punt return, a block punt, something that is completely off of the chart uh, to allow you to do it. You've got to you've got to play ahead in the game, get the crowd out of it early. I mean, the answer is it's doable and it's possible. But there are a lot of things that Florida State's going to have to do right in order for it to happen, and we have not seen them do those that many things right in an entire 60-minute game all year long. So that means, duh, they're going to have to play their game of the year. I think going back to just putting everything on the table, they've they've got to go back to the wild cam or the wild trav. I'm talking where Blackman's still on the field as the quarterback, but but either Akers is taking snaps and, and he's got Laburn, or maybe Travis is more adept and, you, and you're using Akers as that back, or maybe you find a way that you're using Travis out of the slot on jet sweeps and he's taking them and you and you got handoffs or throw. I mean, I really think it's got to be that kind of thing offensively because FSU can't block Florida. They cannot block Florida. That is a true statement. Uh, and so if you're going to try to throw the ball with two and two and three and four second uh, in the pocket, that's not going to happen. Certainly Blackman and or uh, whoever's at quarterback is just going to have to get the ball out quicker. Uh, but, yeah, you, you hate to say you're going to have to resort. I'm not going to call them gimmicks, but I'll just simply say you're going to have to resort to a lot of creativity uh, if you want to stay on the field with Florida. And, and to, to the University of Florida's credit, that's how good they are. They've played well. Uh, I think Mullen uh, has come in and, and, and made them a formidable opponent. I wish he were less likable, you know, because as a Florida State guy, you don't like liking the Florida coach, but you can't help but because he, he seems and appears to do things the right way. Uh, but at the same token, I'd like to beat him. It's just going to take a really, really, really big effort by Florida State if, if that's going to happen. We're out of time. we got two weeks to think about that. Maybe we'll have a head coach by then. Maybe not. Either way, we'll be back to do our regular show on Wednesday right here on ESPN Tallahassee 97.9. Until then, he's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in.